right. Well, we're still continuing our conversation about prayer and prayers that we find in Scripture. And I love the fact that uh, she's right. You say it in the name of Jesus, and it gets it up there to him, and he hears your prayer. And we're going to talk about that today. I just want to welcome you guys. Thank you so much for last Sunday, if you were a part of the the, uh, baptisms and the picnic. What an incredible way to celebrate my birthday. It was so exciting to be there, and I appreciate everyone. Uh, last week, I gave a shout-out to my mom on the, uh, on the recording, so now i got to say hi to my wife, because she listens to my message later on in the week, because she's in taking care of your children. And so, hi, honey. Um, I love you. Thank you for putting up with me. So, I noticed, I noticed that I made this comment a few weeks ago about how my Bible smells like Starbucks. Yeah. And then, for my birthday, I got all these Starbucks gift cards, which, by the way, thank you, because I'll put those to good use. But you know, oddly enough, though, I started, started smelling my Bible this morning, and it smells a bit like a Corvette. <laughs> I think an, an 87, yeah, an 87, black convertible, just like my Bible, it's black, all right? So I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but I just wanted you to know that for sure this morning so we can, all right, are we ready to move on from that? I, I, I wrote that joke, I thought, oh, I can't wait to share it. But that's usually the way it goes with so many of the things that I feel like God puts on my heart, some of the things I probably shouldn't say, just probably should let them go on out of my mind, but there are other things where I, look, I just look forward to, man, I cannot wait to, to tell them. So for one, I hope I preach like the royals this morning and not like the chiefs. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, let's go royals, all right? I should be careful because I actually work for the chiefs, so I'd probably get myself in trouble for that. Have you ever been extremely passionate about something or someone I mean, like, you are so, like, convinced about this situation, about what it is that you're doing, the direction you're headed, the career that you're in, or the, or the project that you've taken on, or the relationship that you're in. You are so convinced that you're headed in the right direction. But then to find out later on that it's not, or they were not, what God had in store for you, have you ever had a situation like that in your life? Just give me a little raise of hands. You're like, yeah, can you, can you identify? Like you, you were headed that way. Maybe it was the school you chose to go to or, the, or whatever it was, and you're headed that way, and then you realize later on, that's not, that was not the best for me. Like I probably, there were, maybe there's some warning signs along the way, and you should have listened, but you're like, no, I'm going to go ahead and push through anyway. Have you ever felt that way in moments like that in your life? Maybe you just didn't know any better. Maybe literally you can plead ignorance and say, I just didn't know any better. Like, I I guess I just had to learn. I mean, I didn't even, if there were warning signs, I didn't even see them. Or maybe, maybe the, the reality is, is you knew better, like you just knew, but you just didn't listen. You just ignored it. You're like, okay, yeah, I know. I got all these people that are telling me the same thing. That's odd. Maybe I should listen. But then again, you're like, you just went ahead and moved on through. And then, then maybe, like, you went ahead and moved on through, and the more you kind of stayed on that, that path, it seemed like the faster you went. Have you ever been lost, like, driving, and it seemed like the, the more lost you got, the faster you drove to try to find your way? Have you ever, anybody ever experienced that? I'll tell you a story. My wife will really get a kick out of this one, or she won't. She'll, I'll be in trouble. So anyway, so we were in San Francisco, this was, I was a youth pastor. There was a big thing going on at the time uh, called True Love Waits, and it was this purity um, uh, 
initiative for young people to make a pledge to stay pure until they got married. And I took four students from the Baptist church, a freshman, sophomore, junior, and a senior. <laughs> and so we, we went on this journey to, uh, to San Francisco, and we went to this conference on Friday night. It was awesome, all these teenagers there. And the deal was the next day we were going to take all of these signed commitment cards, and we were going to walk them across the Golden Gate Bridge. It was bridges across crossing purity or something like that, crossing bridges with purity. And so we were going to be a part of that. It was exciting. We flew out there. It was a great time. <laughs> Brian was with me. <laughs> he was just a young man. And uh, we came out of the, the event on, Saturday, on Friday night, and we were supposed to meet up with this family that were going to let us stay in their house. And it was across the Golden Gate Bridge. But we got turned around. And we got lost. But there was a moment in time when I was so convinced. I know this is the way. Just, just trust me, all right? So I'm my wife sitting off to my right. I know this is the way. But then she's like, no, 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 no. I know this is the way. And so we, oh my gosh, it was, it was terrible. Poor, poor the kids, the kids in the back, you know, they're there with their youth pastor and his wife. She had this incredible worship experience. And we're starting to get more angry with one another by the mile, you know? And, the, and then we start driving faster. And the next thing you know, we're on the um, Bay Bridge or whatever, and we're headed straight to Oakland, which could be some people's version of hell. But anyway, we were going to Oakland late at night, and we were driving. I mean, I was doing 85 miles an hour in this van. Kids in the back, they were silent. I've never heard or never seen teenagers be so quiet in my whole entire life. They were not saying anything because my wife and I were not happy with one another, and but here's what happened. We stopped, and we asked somebody for directions. Now, the reality is, is you need to make sure you're asking the right person for directions when you're lost. And luckily, it was this. We stopped at a hospital. We, there, was a, there was a, I think it was a police officer. We asked them, and they were like, yeah, you're in the wrong part of town at this time of night. You need to go that way as quickly as possible to get where you're supposed to go. And we were really late getting to where we were at, to where we were staying, and it was just a it was one of the worst arguments my wife and I have ever had in our entire marriage. And since then, we do not do well together in the car with directions. We just get so frustrated. Now, so if you ever had one of those moments where you, you got lost and you just went the wrong way and then you got turned around, you asked the right person, what did you learn from it? Well, I know for me, like I said, I learned that you need to ask the right person. You need to have an encounter with the right person to get redirected, make sure you're headed the right way. Wise counsel, being, getting counsel from friends, uh, coming to church, you know, getting in your word, praying and asking God, you know, like, where, which, which direction should I go here? What should I do? It also, when you have those moments, when you kind of start to learn from it, it kind of sets you on an, an, the opposite path, where you actually turn around, you head the other way in your life. And that definitely was the reality for us. And we needed to head the other way. Otherwise, we would have never got. Like, I could have drove 120 miles an hour the wrong direction and never got to where I was supposed to go. But I had to turn around. So I just want you to think about that because we encounter a guy in the Scripture today named Saul who has passion and zeal for what he thought was the right thing. And he had an encounter that turned his life completely around. So I want you to turn to the book of Acts with me. And so I had, um, had some, had about a half a cup of coffee, had one of those like cookie things. So I'm wired. So this is, this could go on for a long time. All right, so hold on. Hold on tight. This is the book of Acts. We're going to start in, in chapter 7. 
around verse 51, but just to give you a little bit of, a little bit of background before we jump into to this word. And the whole idea is, is we're looking at, we're, we're building up to looking at some prayers that were prayed by the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, but then he becomes Paul. But before we get to Paul, we, we see a story in the, in, uh, in the book of Acts about a guy named Stephen. The church had exploded, and it started to grow, and they needed help. We are starting to discover this right now in our church. The church is growing, and we need, we need help. We need people to volunteer and help out and do different things. And that's just natural. That's just We knew that was going to happen, and we were pre- preparing for that. Well, Stephen was one of seven that were chosen to be a deacon, to be an, a helper. But not only was he supposed to be a servant and just serve and help, but he was also supposed to be a witness to the good news and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he was called to do. And Stephen was just that. Matter of fact, Stephen preached such a powerful message that it got, it got him in, in trouble and eventually got him killed because he was testifying about the, the resurrection of Jesus and there were some people who were offended by that. Do you realize that there are still people, and we know this is true, there are still people in the world that we live in today, even here in America, that are offended at the name of Jesus? You know, in movies, you'll see people talk about God, but very rarely in a secular movie will you ever hear the name Jesus in a positive fashion. Because when you cross that bridge and you start talking about Jesus, it changes everything. And so uh, Stephen is confronted with an opportunity to, to, to preach, to speak this message in public. And he actually ser- he shares this um, really in what you'd, you'd really have to read Acts chapter 7, the whole thing, to get, a, to get a background for what we're leading up to. But he speaks this message. He actually shares a history lesson. I love it in the Bible when you find these areas where you can get a synopsis of the whole Bible in just a few pages. Like God's story from the beginning until up until that point. And that's what Stephen does. And he shares this incredible, this message, but it's also kind of, um, it's convicting. It's hard to hear for the people that he's sharing it with. And I just know that every single Sunday morning when I get an opportunity to stand up and speak, yeah, I want it to be fun, I want it to be encouraging, I want it to be lighthearted, but at the same time, there's got to be truth. And sometimes truth hurts. Sometimes truth cuts us to the core. It does me when I'm reading and I'm like, oh man, yeah, God, I, uh, yeah, you're speaking to me too. And now I, I've got to figure out how I can share this message with the people that are going to be here. So Stephen does this, and he preaches this message. And in, in chapter 7, verse 51, it, we, uh, we kind of come to this towards the end of his message, and this is what he says. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Like it's got this flesh covering them. They cannot hear, and their hearts are not open to what God is trying to say to them. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who, pers- who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Now Stephen is talking about Jesus. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. You have heard, but you didn't do anything with it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God 
and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, that's a really simple little phrase, but it's very important. They laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So I did a little bit of research trying to figure out what, what was the significance of them laying their coats at his feet. Basically, it was something as simple as, hey, keep an eye on this. This is a valuable part of my garment. Keep an eye on this while I go take care of business. And Saul stood back. He didn't participate in the stoning of Stephen, but he gave approval to it, which we'll find later on. And he stood there holding on um, to their clothes. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Okay, so here's an opportunity for prayer uh, in a difficult situation. While being stoned, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Where had Stephen heard a phrase like that before? On the cross. I'm sure he had heard about the testimony, the, testi- the testimony of his Savior who hung on a cross and said, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And so there's Stephen getting literally stoned to death, and in the process, he's asking for forgiveness for the ones who are killing him. It's a pretty powerful, powerful word. And Saul approved of their killing him. That's in chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And I want to finish there on this particular place because that's good news for you and me today. Because do you realize the fact that as they were scattered, instead of just running in fear, they went out and they preached the word? Maybe with thinking, you know what, Stephen got killed for preaching the word. We might, be, we might experience the same thing. And the reason why that is so good news is because that's where it started. And that message spread all throughout the earth. And eventually, at some point in time, you heard that same message. I heard it once said, and I don't know if this is true or not. It makes sense, though, like that there is no new water on the earth. Because it evaporates into the sky, comes back down again, and just gets recycled over and over and over again. So think about it. You're drinking really, really old water. But we have ways of making it taste good, so that's awesome. But there, this, is not, this is not a new message. This is a message that's been going on. And thank goodness it started there, and it didn't stop. Has the enemy tried to stop it? Oh, yeah. It's, he's tried to squelch it several times. He tried to kill it, he tried to kill it on the cross. But it actually caused, caused an even greater uh, movement when that happened. And so it's same thing. Church gets persecuted. They think we're going to kill this. We're going to squelch it right here. And instead, all it does is cause people to move out and go preach the word, which is the reason why it's so important that you don't just hear the message in church on a Sunday morning and never share it again throughout the rest of the week, right? It's important that Stephen was more than just a deacon who said, yeah, I'll serve and I'll give food to the, to the widows. That's awesome. I'll give food to widows. That's a good thing to do. But I'll also preach the gospel when I have an opportunity. I'll share my faith with those who I have, who have an audience with. So that's a good word for you and I today. Well, this leads us up to this, um, this guy named Saul. So Saul was there. He was, he was uh, giving approval to the killing of, of Stephen. 
And then he was also very zealous for his religion. Like he was very passionate about what he believed in. He was, he was headed what he thought was the right direction, and he was doing it with full force. Like he, we, we can look and say, well, he was headed the wrong way, but he didn't think so. He was raised to think this way, and he really thought he was working for God and doing God a favor by um, exposing these people who were following this, this Jesus. So here's what it says in, in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. It says he went to the high priest and he asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Basically, he was saying, would you just give me approval to be able to go to these synagogues and let me find the people who are following this Jesus? He was just getting authority to be able to do that. And so when somebody else signs off on the direction that you're headed, when you get other people to approve it, then it really starts to seem like this is the right thing to do, right? When other people around you start saying it's okay, that's the reason why so many times we go, we go to the people who we want them to say what we want to hear, right? And we get approval, and if we get enough people to agree, then all of a sudden, even though maybe deep down inside we know it's wrong, we trick ourselves into thinking it's right. I know that to be true in my own life. I've had people, oh, yeah, Brady, that's awesome, man. Yeah, we should do this together. Like, hey, okay, there's several people doing it with me. Therefore, it must be okay. It's not necessarily true. (laughs) So Saul gets this approval so that if you have found any there who belong to the way, which is what the early movement of Christianity was called, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you must do. The the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Maybe there's something significant about the number of days there. You could read something into that. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, or a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I underlined in my Bible, for he is praying. What do you think Saul's prayers were like after this encounter with Jesus? Like, what do you think Saul was praying about before? Because I guarantee you he was a man of prayer. He was probably one of those 6 a.m. prayer guys. Like he was probably up early in prayer because he was zealous for his faith and the traditions of his faith. And he was passionate about what he believed in. So what do you think Paul was praying about or Saul was praying about before? And then all of a sudden he has this encounter with Jesus. He's blinded. And, he, and now all of a sudden, what do you think he's praying about? Have you ever had a time in your life where you were forced to your knees and your prayers changed they became more passionate more focused more or less about me and God about what do you want to teach me through all of this stuff 
So he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went out to the house, um, or went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then it said, at once he began to preach the good news of Jesus. Paul was zealous about the direction he was headed. He was more advanced in his faith than anybody his age, it says in Scripture. He was faultless when it came to obeying the law. But you know, later on, after his encounter with Jesus... Paul was recorded to have said that everything that he knew and all the power and all the authority that he had in his former way of life was garbage compared to knowing Jesus. It was nothing compared to knowing who Jesus was. So this idea of the fact that when we encounter Jesus, it changes everything. It sets us on a a new course or a new path. It changes how we pray. It changes what we pray about. It changes how we live and the way we conduct ourselves. It it changes how we forgive one another in our life. It it should change everything about us. Paul, it changed everything about him. Instead of persecuting the church, he began to pray for the church. He planted new churches. He's responsible for most of the New Testament in the Bible. I mean, this had a dramatic effect on him. He eventually died for his faith. And he was even to have quoted the said, for for me to live is Christ, but to die is of greater gain. Have you ever felt that way sometimes? Even to a point, maybe you're fearful of death and then realize, you know what, because I'm a follower of Jesus, to live is Christ. I want to be Christ. I want to do as much as I can for him while I'm here. But you know what, if I die, not that I want to, but if I die, I gain. It's a beautiful thing. It gives us hope in this life that we, we live in, especially if you're facing death. It's a, it gives us hope. Paul was a man of prayer. I want you to turn real quick to Acts chapter 16. I think this is a cool, this is a cool story. If we're going to talk about a man being a man of prayer, we, we see that Scripture proves that he was. Acts chapter 16. Starting in verse 16. It's interesting. This, this is being written. This person observed this happening, but he's writing about Paul and a guy named Silas, a partner in ministry. So the writing says, Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, it says. 
Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Or in the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and they're throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in at the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received their order or these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. It's not a great situation. Do you, do you wonder, at maybe at some point, did Paul in his flesh say, uh, you know what, what have I done? My, my life was a little better. <laughs> I was kind of the one getting to watch this happen, and now I've been placed in this difficult situation where it's not comfortable. It could mean death, and it wasn't the first time or the last time Paul was in this situation. So how did he respond? So when you're in a situation like this, when life is difficult, when things are hard, how do we respond? Well, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They're praying. They're singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. If it was in modern day, they'd be praying. They'd have their Pandora on their iPad, and they'd be listening to worship music. <laughs> or maybe somebody smuggled in a guitar or something, and they were worshiping together or whatever. They were, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them, in, brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved. And this is the message that has been going on since Jesus' day. It's the same message today. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Quick side note. Here's, let's just step out of this sermon and I'll, I'll preach a different one for a second. Men, when you put your faith in Jesus, your family will follow you. All throughout the world that we live in, it's been proven that if a man comes to faith, almost 100% of the time, his family will come to faith. But that number goes drastically down when it comes to when the wife comes to faith. It, it just says to me how important our role is as fathers and as husbands. And I'm looking at you men as I'm looking around here. There's something about God has called you. He's placed something on you that is different than what's on your wife. Yeah, she must pursue Jesus. She must have a vital relationship with him. Uh, she's the prayer warrior. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my wife praying for me. 
But it's my calling to lead my family. It is my responsibility to lead my family. And that is an encouragement to you. I'm looking at you young men that are not married yet. That is what God is calling you to do. That is your most important role in your home. Even before making sure you have enough money to put food on the table. Yeah, that's important, but God has called you. And when you, it says, it's just natural. In this culture, it was just natural. If the husband said it's it's right, then it's right. And their whole household was saved because of the faith of the father. And we live in a world where that is such a problem. I've experienced it myself. My real father was not present in my life. And I've suffered because of that. And I've had to wrestle with that. And some of you, I know, and some of you deal with some guilt and some shame because you were a part of a relationship that's been broken up. And now that, please don't hear condemnation this morning. Don't hear that. Be hopeful. Men, be encouraged to say, today, even when in the midst of a difficult situation, I can be that guy. You can be that guy because God will help you be that guy. I promise you, you will. And ladies, if your man is not that way, keep praying. Even Joel Osteen this morning said, I just watched the first part of it. This is our Bible. It says what it says. Well, anyway, I don't even know. But <laughs> Sorry, but that guy's hair is cool. But other than that, I just don't know. I'm just jealous. But anyway, so, but he did say something that's good. Women, be faithful. Keep living it out. Keep showing that Jesus is the most important thing to you. And, and, and actions speak louder than words. Does that make sense? All right, okay, so that sermon's over. All right, that's just extra. All right, we're back. Here we go. It says, all of his whole household. Paul, in the midst of a difficult situation, was, was praying. That gives us some encouragement today. I want to finish with this. There are so many prayers throughout the rest of the New Testament that Paul was a part of because he wrote so many of the books. And I want to share one of them with you today. And this is how we'll finish our time together. This is in the book of Ephesians. Okay, so when you see, all right, there's a book. It's called Ephesians. It's a letter wrote, maybe written to the church in that city. So you know, if there was a letter Paul wrote to the church in Platte City, then you, what would it be called? Platte Cityans, Platte Countyans, or whatever. PCians or whatever you want to call it, all right, or just in this area that we live in. So Paul wrote this letter, and matter of fact, some scholars say it wasn't necessarily written just to this particular church. It was really um, a, a letter to the Gentile churches. Like, if you are a church that say we follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, this letter is for you. And then it was supposed to be circulated from church to church. Like, let's say the word, the, the Lord has a word for the churches in Platte City, and the letter would be given to me or to some other pastor. They would read it to his church, and then it would be passed on to the next church. Well, that happened because it's in the Bible. That's why we have this, this, this word. It's, it's given to us, and we're very blessed to be able to access it in several different ways in the world we live in. So this is a prayer to the church, okay? The church collective, all of us. And so it's a letter for for us. And this is in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. But I'm going to 
re- I printed it out in um, a version of the Bible called the Living Bible because I just like the way the words just kind of jumped out at me. So this man, Paul, who was headed the wrong direction, but he was so passionate about it, had this encounter with Jesus, and he got his life turned around. He's encouraging these people in this word. And he prays for them. And so this is going to be a prayer for you today. It starts out, it says, When I think of the wisdom and scope of his plan, or of God's plan, which God's plan that he's talking about here, you just kind of read back a little bit in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. The plan is that through the good news of Jesus Christ, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God made it possible for people like you and me who are not of the Jewish faith to become heirs with the people of Israel. Like we, literally it says that we are grafted in. Like we get all of the promises of God's people through Jesus Christ. That's, that's huge. That is like the, the biggest message of the good news of Jesus Christ that we could grab a hold of this morning. Like when, um, and I use this example a lot, and it breaks down a little bit, but when you are brought into somebody else's family, you have access to everything that is theirs. It's our responsibility to choose to receive that and to live in that and to be blessed by it. So he's got this plan. Through Jesus, he was going to reconcile the world to himself. And we're members of one body who share in this promise. Right? Do you get that? You understand? Through faith in Jesus. So Paul says, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father of all the great family of God, some that have already gone to heaven and some that are still here on earth. And here's the prayer. So I want you to just close your eyes. And this, this prayer is, is for us this morning, and I just want you to receive this. Out of his glorious, unlimited resources, God will give you the mighty inner strength, the inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. So receive that this morning, that God will give you his mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts. God, that these people will allow you to fully have access to who they are, to their hearts, Lord. I pray that, that, uh, that they will begin to trust you. With you living within them, they'll learn to trust you more. I pray that their roots will go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray against anything that has lied to any of these people about their worth to you or their value to you or whether they could be loved or whether they could be loved now based on what they've done in the past. Lord, all of that's a lie from the enemy that, they're, that they would be able to fully grasp, fully understand your love for them. And all, or it says in your word, it says how, how long and how wide and how deep and how high your love is, how it really is. And that they would experience this love for themselves. 
Though it is so great that we will never see the end of it or fully understand it, I pray that we'll begin to grasp it somehow this morning. And so that at last, that they will be filled with God himself. That your word would come alive and true, that you really want to take up residence inside our hearts. So that we could become people who are able to pray at midnight when things are hard, when it doesn't make sense. We can just put our full trust in you. So that we can be people who share this good news with others who need to hear it, especially in the world that we live in today. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And then it finishes with, Now glory be to God, who by His mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of. Can you imagine, like the best thing you can come up with, the best plan for your life, the best dream for your life, God is able to do immeasurably more than that. That's good news. Because I've, I've, I've had some big dreams, but God says, Brave, it's nothing, man. I've got something better for you. Something more than that. Now keep dreaming, but I'm just going to blow your mind. I'm going to give you more than you could ever ask for or imagine. It says, Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through endless ages because of this master plan of salvation for the church through Jesus Christ. May he receive the glory for what he's going to do in and through us, or what he has done in and through each one of us. We're going to worship together in one more song, and then our time will be done today. So use this as an opportunity to pray. Use this as an opportunity to maybe even ask the Lord, God, what would it look like for you to do immeasurably more in my life today? What would it look like if I was to really fully grasp and understand your love for me? Is that possible, God? And so use this as a time of prayer and commitment. So before you leave this morning, if you maybe an issue that you just want someone to pray with you about, there's plenty of people around to do that. Maybe even the people right next to you say, hey, would you pray for me today? Um, please don't leave if you need that. I mean, I would love, I'll stay around. We'll love to meet with you and talk with you and pray. And um, That would be, that'd be awesome. We do have an opportunity to, to give this morning, and we appreciate people's generosity to make sure that we continue to do the work God has called us to do here at this church. Uh, keep praying for a bigger space, you know, that where God's going to lead us to do that. We're not sure um, here if you know of any places that, that fit kind of in this area, in this community that would work, then let us know. We'd love to, to at least uh, kind of go down that road with you. So thank you. Do what? Oh, oh, the cards. Yeah, like if you have filled out a card today um, with some information about your family or whatever, and just make sure you drop those and prayer request that too because we pray over those concerns. Drop them in the offering basket on the way out. And uh, we would appreciate that. So uh, thank you so much. I encourage you to continue to look throughout the New Testament of the Bible and look for Paul's words and his prayers. It's an endless resource. You can never um, read it enough. So I can encourage you to do that. All right. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you soon.